Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the ODPH Podcast, otherwise known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan Jay. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of sports, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on the social media accounts. You can find them on OchoDuroParlayHour.com and always use the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. So the biggest sports story this week, and it's been kind of a quieter sports week, Mm -hmm is UFC 240. Running through the six. Yes, obviously up in Canada this past weekend. A great fight card, albeit though not the quote-unquote highlight knockouts that we're used to seeing yeah. you know, from the Masvidal and Askren fight, which, I mean, you, you can't get that every time, but this fight definitely had some very good fights on the card, and we're going to break down the top three of the main card for you, mm-hmm. starting with... Jeff Neal versus Nico Price. Mm-hmm. And, Pat, fun fact, if you don't know, Nico Price actually follows the show. Really? Yes, he does. Interesting. So, obviously, we had a little more you know, rooting interest, so to speak, on this fight. And what was the results of this one, though? Uh, Jeff Neal defeated Nico Price via TKO punches in uh, the second round. Now, this one was a wild fight on the card. And I know, Pat, you weren't here in attendance for us. No. We had our fellow hashtag 607 brethren over in 3 Fat Nerds. And we were all watching here, and I'm showing Pat some highlights as we were talking. Mm-hmm. Definitely a very back-and-forth fight. Nico yeah. put up a hell of a fight, too. So it seems very evenly matched, if you were to use a phrase. Yeah, just second round, Neil took over, and but this was a great brawl. Yeah. And especially on the card, which, like I said, there's a lot of decisions. Not really, you know, like I said, the highlight reels. Yeah. But yeah. you're not going to have that every time. Right. I mean, it wasn't like the previous weekend where how many decisions were going on? Uh, a record setting, like 14 of them, something like that. Exactly. So this one, though, was a tough break for Nico, but he'll bounce back from this one. And like I said, definitely showed a lot of class after the fight, too. And just this was one fight that was just, okay, stood out on the card for me. Mm-hmm. Not because just Nico, like I said, Nico follows the show. But this was one that he definitely showed up for. But yeah. you can't take anything away from Neil on this one. Definitely, no. definitely was throwing some hands in this one and definitely a solid win. Going then now to the co-main event. Yep, it was in the women's featherweight division with Chris Cyborg defeating Felicia Spencer by unanimous decision. Now this one, Felicia Spencer came in with a lot of hype. I mean, former Invicta featherweight champion, Mm -hmm. was undefeated at the time. Chris Cyborg, this was her first fight back since losing to Amanda Nunez, I believe. Yep. And obviously Cyborg... Won this one by decision. I'll say I, I realize I wasn't able to watch the fights because I was uh, occupied with some family business over the weekend. But I can already tell enough just from this. This is the, and side note. This is the thing I like about Wikipedia with their UFC cards. They will give you the decision, and if it's a decision, they'll give you the scores. They're all thirty twenty seven. Yeah, that I think that tells me enough. Yeah, Cyborg came in and definitely kept it on the feet. And take nothing away from Spencer though, she stayed in there and she definitely was hanging with her. So this wasn't a complete runaway, right. but when you have Cyborg, who arguably, and we have to make this point, arguably 
was the goat of women's MMA. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's now for debate because Amanda Nunez and the track record she's done. Right. But let's not take anything away from Cyborg. Right. I mean, let, yeah, let, again, like you said, let's not take anything away from Cyborg. The fight a lot of people wanted to see for a lot of years, and it, unfortunately to this point it hasn't happened yet, was Ronda Rousey versus Chris Cyborg. Because, yeah. because it was the 1-1-A, depending on who you talk to, they swap spots, best women's MMA fighter on the planet. Exactly. And Cyborg, to that to the time before the Nunez fight, had just mauled through everybody. I mean, just the track record and just the sheer dominance that she was showing in the octagon. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, she like you said, she lost to Amanda Nunez uh, back in UFC 232 at the end of 2018. But prior to that, uh, the only thing in her record, the next thing in her record that isn't a loss is a no contest she had back on December 17th, 2011 in Strike Force. After that, uh, her only other loss in her career was her very first professional fight back in May. Holy crap. May 17th of 2005. Yeah. So you can't take anything away from Cyborg, even with the loss, which I mean, it's a shocking loss, especially going on that pedigree. That when she lost to Nunez, I mean, that sent shockwaves through the MMA world. Oh, yeah, because that was the fight that we figured, it, you know, it would be knocked down, drag out, you know, not really sure who's going to win. Give me a quarter. But and then, like you said, shocking end. Right. And obviously with this fight, Spencer, I don't think hurt her stock in any case. No. I mean, she hung in there and hung for three rounds with Cyborg yeah. and took a lot of punishment. But she definitely hung in there. I, I like her stock rising more in the UFC as the fights are going on. Yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't hurt her stock any. I mean, it's her first loss in her professional career. Prior to that, she was 7-0. and You know, she beat uh, Megan Anderson prior to that and Pam Sorensen before that back in Invicta in 2018. But, no, yeah, you know, it, it might hurt for her. You know, just kind of like, oh, you never want to see yourself lose. You don't like no fighter realistically wants to lose. But in terms of like her pedigree and her stock, not hurt at all. Right. And obviously losing a cyborg is nothing to be slighted about. No. So now the question goes, what's next for cyborg? She is currently going to be a free agent, mm -hmm. I believe, in the next couple of weeks. Yep. That this was her last contracted UFC fight. So, Pad, let me ask you this. Where do you think she goes next? Well, I, I, like you said, her contract is up in a couple of weeks. Uh, she has already made it public that, you know, there's some contingencies she needs to have checked off before she comes back to the UFC. You can read about those. That's a whole other ball of wax. Yeah, so it, we, we don't have time to get into it. And it's real messy. But I think she'll come back with UFC. And I think I would like to see the name that I believe she and her named opponent have already kind of mentioned each other. Amanda Nunes. I agree. I think that Cyborg is going to be one of the most highly recruited free agents as soon as she can hit the open market yeah. and talk to other oh, organizations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying a Bellator can't sneak in, a Ryzen, a One Championship even. Right, yeah. No. Just, if you're an MMA organization, yeah. you're going to be calling and, uh, yeah. and inquiring, you know, would she be interested in joining your yeah. organization? Yeah. I think, though, she will ultimately stay with the UFC. Oh, yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense for, for both. I mean... Cyborg, until the Nunez fight, I mean, obviously was just dominating that division. Yeah. So you can't take anything away from that. And obviously with how much of a role Nunez has been on, mm -hmm. that rematch makes a lot of sense. And, and no matter who wins that fight, they both come out better for it. You, If you think about it, okay, they have the rematch. It's, let's just say, middle to end of next year, mm -hmm. whatever it ends up being. If Cyborg wins, well, then she can go, hey – I still run this, you know what, that was just a fluke, that was a flash in the pan. By contrast, if Amanda Nunes wins, 
you know, to quote John Cena's entrance theme, your time is up, my time is now, it's my division now. Well, you have to give it to Nunez if she can do it again. If she can dominate, like let's say, I'm I'm just going to throw this hypothetically out, we book that rematch, and that rematch happens and Nunez wins in like under a minute again, or just Mm -hmm. how she came in there and dominated last time. Yeah. You have to give her the goat status. Yeah, there, you, you gotta you gotta put her on the Mount Rushmore of female MMA fighters. I mean, you gotta throw in the conversation of of overall MMA. I mean, it just for the body of work that she's done and the yeah. names that she's taken out. And for Cyborg, if she comes back and they have their rematch, and let's say Cyborg is now on the winning end of this one, right? You have an instant trilogy you can build off of, and mm-hmm. obviously. Cyborg is one of the most well recognizable names in women's women's MMA, if not MMA in general. Yeah. So to keep a star like that level in your organization, I think should be a priority for the UFC. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there is some messy stuff between Dana White and and Cyborg, and it's yeah. been well documented. You can search yeah. that yourself. She's not quiet about it. She's not quiet about it, nor should she be. I mean, that's her opinion, and, and yeah. she has every right to yeah. have it. So I'm not I'm not questioning that at all. And for Dana, I think that he's going to have to come to terms with Cyborg's demands to keep her there. And it makes a lot of sense, like I said, for both Cyborg and the UFC. For the UFC, one thing that we always complain, I guess criticize, if you will, is they don't really have a lot of star power right now. Yeah, They have great fighters, yeah. don't get me wrong, yeah. but if you're talking about the era of the GSPs and the Anderson mm-hmm. Silvas mm-hmm. and the Ronda Rouseys and yeah. Conor McGregor's, they're few and far between right now that you're having that you know one – elite star that you can build your organization around. Yeah, and if you really think about it, if this fight with Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes happens and Amanda Nunes wins, you know, you don't got to play the let's wait five years and figure out what her legacy is. She's got the legend status right then and there. It'll be done. It'll be done. Like, I honestly, it will be huge for the UFC's women's MMA MMA division to have if Cyborg loses and Nunes wins – you now have your Anderson Silva-like champion, the one that has the, the aura and mystique around of just look at everybody she's taken on. And she's not ducking anybody. You're no. throwing the top competition at her. No, I mean, I'll, I'll run through. I know I've read it before, but just to kind of reinforce what we're talking about here, we're not blowing you know sunshine up her butt. Uh, her last uh, her last opponent's going in uh, reverse order of from most recent to you know least recent. Holly Holm, Chris Cyborg, Raquel Pennington, Valentina Shevchenko, Ronda Rousey, Misha, Misha Tate, Valentina Shevchenko, Sarah McMahon, and Shayna Baszler. She beat them all. Yeah, and Shevchenko. I mean, I think it was the only one that's gone to decision with her. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, that was the second fight. It was a split decision back at UFC 215 in 2017. So I mean, that being said, like I say, to keep Cyborg there and to have that rematch, that makes so much sense yeah. that I think the UFC has to make sure that that fight happens. And I think both fighters would be up for it. I don't think Nunez would duck that fight by any no, stretch of the means. No, She's willing to take on anybody. Cyborg definitely wants that rematch. In fact, I think I even saw some pictures of her having a T-shirt saying Cyborg Nunez too. I, yeah, I think everyone's down for it. It's, it's one of the cases you see it a lot in MMA and boxing too where it's, you know, oh, this fight needs to happen. These are clearly the two best fighters, boxers in their division, in their league, whatever you want to have you. But then a lot of times it doesn't happen. I think this is an instance where we have one of those fights, and it's got the real potential to happen. Yeah, and that's a super fight, without question. Yeah. You can't even doubt that. So the ball apparently is in the UFC's court. Can you re-sign Cyborg? That's going to be the question. I think they can, but they got to do some work, and they rightfully should to make right. that happen. So we'll have to see moving forward, but we'll definitely keep you up to date on that. But going back to UFC 240, the main event, mm-hmm. we had... 
pad? Uh, it was the featherweight division for the championship. Max Holloway, the champion, defeating Frankie Edgar via, via unanimous decision. This fight definitely was the fight we were expecting. Max Holloway right now, I mean, is just on another level. And take nothing away from Frankie Edgar. I mean, he will always show up for fight. There's no question of that any which way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. But this was one that Max just looked really fresh. He looked really a lot healthier at this weight class. I mean, right. It's kind of funny because saying that after his last fight, he moved up in weight, and I thought it was a healthier weight cut. He looked right. like a small 155 compared to Dustin Poirier. Right. So to see him come back down to 145 and the skills, he looked like he didn't miss a beat. No, not at all. And this one, like I said, Frankie definitely showed up for. Um, was kind of struggling to get some takedowns and such, and – it was just one that Max just was fighting was a better fighter that night, and you can't take anything away from it. Um, I think one of the judges though had a really crazy score for it, but um, let's say the uh, oh wow, I think I found it. Uh, the score results were fifty to forty five. Well, I think is the one you're probably referring to. The other two were forty nine forty six and forty eight forty seven. Forty eight forty seven was the one. Like I don't think it was that close. I think it was the forty nine forty six I was going with. I, okay, see the fifty forty five jumped out to me because I've never seen that. Yeah, it was just one. Max was Max was winning. Like I said, I think on our scorecard, we majority of the fight. Like there was might have been one round. I think I would have gave to Frankie, but it's close. But I mean, Frankie was definitely a gamer, and there was nothing to take away from this. It's just it's interesting to kind of see where Frankie has gone because I mean he was a dominant 155 champion, and obviously dropping down to featherweight, he's had some mixed success. But he's definitely been a great fighter there too. Take nothing away from that. So Pat, let me ask you this: the smoke uh -huh. is cleared. Max is your and still champion yep. of the 145 division. Where do you think every fighter goes from here? Well, I think if you look at it, I'm looking at the rankings right now for the featherweight division. As we record, Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one contender for the featherweight division. After that, you've got Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, uh, Frankie Edgar, who I would presume is going to move down some rankings after this. Uh, Zabit, uh, long last name. I'm going to butcher the crap out. You can of just say Zabit. Zabit, and then Chang Sung Jung, uh, Yar Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens, Josh Emmett, and Renato Moisiano rounding out the top ten. I mean, without knowing who's fighting who going down the road, I mean, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky would be the logical next step for me. Volkanovsky actually showed up at this card Ooh. for weight. <laughs> he in went case, Cerrone on In him. case anybody could not make the fight, he was so, ready I see, to go. I see he's reading out of the book of uh, Juan Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah, this one, it's a smart move by him. Yeah, so, no, it and, is. Look, and, at, look at the success it's brought Cerrone over the years. Yeah, so for him, I thought it was a smart move to do. And, yeah. And, and obviously, him versus Holloway makes a lot of sense to do. I know he really wants to fight uh, relatively soon. I don't mm -hmm. know the turnaround, though. I don't think Holloway wants to go that quickly on a turnaround. And that I and I understand that point too. I mean, you, not everybody likes doing a quick, you know, short camp, especially for a title shot. So it's one of those situations you kind of go, okay, let's see what the champ wants to do. And especially everybody, I think, is really trying to get uh, one more fight in before the end of the year, like this one. Yeah, I would say uh, Matt Holloway's at two fights for the year. He his Dustin Poirier fight was back in April, and then this one was obviously here in July. So there's time for it. There's time for Defe it. Depending on any injuries or whatever. Yeah. Well, I know like everybody, I think, is trying to get on the MSG card November 3rd. Mm -hmm. So I, but I don't think that that's going to happen for this one. I, I wouldn't doubt seeing this one be in the New Year's Eve week. That could be. And that would, and I think that would make a lot of sense to do. Just depends on when everybody wants to line up to do the fight, but I think Volonovsky definitely is the fight to happen for Max moving yeah. forward. And as for Frankie, 
I know it was somewhat alluded to about dropping down to 135 okay. and, and maybe make a run there against uh, possibly Henry Cejudo and, and some of the names down there. You, if he wants to go down there, I wouldn't struggle with that. No. I mean, Frankie can kind of write his own ticket, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he naturally walks around around 160, so making a cut to 155 has never really been no. an issue. That's just his normal size. Yeah. And then going to 145, that's not too big of a cut. And there's still some – I mean, 145 is such a stacked division right now. Yeah. That, I mean, if he wants to make another run and see where he can get, I, he definitely can do that. But honestly, if he wants to go to 135, I think that might be a really interesting mix of fighters he could have some fights with. Yeah. I think, you know, Cody Garbrandt, Raya Faber's back. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen there. I know everybody's calling out Henry Cejudo, but it, that's going to be a while away before that happens. So, I mean, the bantamweight division could definitely use a little star power with Frankie coming down. So a lot of great fights to happen there. I think the, But I think, in my opinion, though, the move to 135 might be a good move at this stage. Probably. Maybe do a test fight down there, see what see how it feels if you know the weight cut's too much or you know if it's just not kind of the right fit for him. You can always move back up, and I don't think anybody would have a trouble with that. Mm-hmm. So going into that, overall, UFC 240 had a lot of good fights on it, definitely some memorable moments, and definitely setting up the future fights for the UFC. There's some clearer pictures of what they should be doing, and then there's some that we just have a little bit of uncertainty about. But yeah. definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on UFC 240? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH, and let's talk some baseball. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked baseball in a while. No, nah, baseball's been kind of going through its motions. It's you know it's in the middle of the season, nothing real crazy going on. You know you're not getting the postseason push a lot of teams, but you are kind of getting that first I don't know sneak peek at the postseason push. I guess you could say the Major League Baseball trade deadline is coming. It is this Wednesday as we record, uh, July 31st at 4 p.m. Uh, the difference this year being a, a, unlike years past, where you've had the hard trade deadline, where July 31st is the last time where you can trade players for players and then you had the whole waiver trade deadline afterwards which that whole nonsense of you know you need almost need a phd to explain it or understand it at times that's not the case anymore once you hit 4 p.m on july 31st the rosters are set for the rest of the year you can't trade nobody it's all said and done so with that being said we've already had some interesting uh trades have happened already you had left-handed pitcher jason vargas uh traded from the new york mets to the philadelphia phillies uh eric sogard an infielder traded from the toronto blue jays to the tampa bay rays this one kind of jumped me out as surprising because i forgot he was honestly still in the majors uh right-handed pitcher sergio romo yes that sergio romo from when the san francisco giants made their runs a couple years ago uh was traded from the uh florida marlins to the uh minnesota twins and then the one that kind of jumped out to me, you know, you know, at first I was like, wait, why? And then because this is this name has been in the subject of a lot of trade discussions with a lot of teams. And then the team he got traded to was not any of those teams. Uh, Marcus Stroman, right handed pitcher of the Toronto Blue Jays, was traded to 
the New York Mets. Yeah, I definitely didn't see that one coming. Yeah, that was that was kind of one of those ones that I'm like, wait, what? Because I know the, the Yankees had been mentioned, the Twins had been mentioned, you know, the the Red Sox and the Astros had been mentioned, and then here come the New York Mets. Now, at first it was kind of puzzling, and then I saw uh, one of the writers online, I can't remember if it was John Heyman or Ken Rosenthal, uh, on the one hand, this is kind of like, wait, why? The New York Mets aren't exactly contending for a World Series this year. Why are they training for Marcus Stroman? He's not a rental for the end of the year till the end of the year, like some teams will will do, and not no matter what sport it is. Uh, they have him for the rest of this year and then all of next year. So next year they might be trying to set up for a push because and they're that's kind of this trade is kind of lending some to the belief that the Mets might not trade Noah Syndergaard, but that's still being talked about and discussed. See, for the Mets to make a move like this, they got to be setting up for something. Yeah, and at this stage in the game, I think Syndergaard is staying put. Probably. I, in my gut opinion, you don't go out and suddenly become a buying team instead of a selling team if you're going out and acquiring a pitcher like Stroman, who was one of the more highly touted tradable players yeah. of this season. Yeah. And obviously with the Syndergaard, if you're going to move one of your franchise pitchers, and let's be honest, he is for the Mets. Yeah. You're going to ask for a king's ransom. Right, and that was the thing that was reported last week where there were some rumblings that he was going to get traded, and then uh, an anonymous executive spoke with somebody from ESPN and said, the Mets are asking for two arms and a leg to get Noah Syndergaard, a.k.a. the asking price is real high. And I can't see any, if they're if they're asking for that many limbs, I can't see any teams comfortable or willing to give up that much for one pitcher. No way. I mean, it'd be... A huge move for any team to acquire him, but you yeah. have to have some depth in your farm system to make that move happen, or you got to be willing to part with some all-star players to acquire him. Right. I don't know if anybody does. I know Boston was heavily rumored. Yeah. But I don't even think Boston would be able to swing that though. No, they'd have to give up. They'd have to give up because I don't know how good their farm system is. You know, they would have to give up some prospects and then maybe at least a couple of the young guys on their major league roster. Which you know, that's mostly the roster they won the World Series with last year. Why break that up? Exactly. I mean, it's tough for any team to repeat in sports. Yeah, it always is. So the fact that when it happens, you have to admire how those teams are performing and, mm-hmm. and can stay that hungry after winning. Yeah. This has been a off year for Boston, and yeah. I'm, I'm trying to say this as unbiasedly as a Yankees fan as I can. I mean, it is for all intents and purposes. I mean, you go back and you look at their record last year. They, you know, outside of the first month, month and a half, maybe even two months might be pushing it of last season, you know, where the Yankees were in first place and then they just kind of fell off the horse. Boston took that thing and ran away with it, like Usain Bolt right, racing against a bunch of eighth graders. Yeah, you know, like they just ran away with it. Where it was, you know, by the by the All Star break, it wasn't even a question. You know, and and they were just it was setting records and this that and the other with scoring runs and pitching and this and that. And then you kind of flip the script to this year, where they're in third place in the American League East, and their record is fifty nine and forty eight, and they're uh, nine games back of the Yankees in first place. Like, you know, you look at the team last year and you go, wait, what happened? You're still mostly the same players. Yeah, this is one of those situations that for Boston, I mean, they're still in, what, third place in the yeah. ALE. So, I yeah. mean, obviously, playoffs are not exactly out of the realm of thought. No. So, if they still want to get in it, but, they, I mean, they'd have to move one of their young players. And I know that um, Benintendi. Yeah, Andrew Benintendi, yeah. Is, like, one of the heavily named guys that could get moved. But yeah. wh- but then again, like you were touching upon, why would you break up your young nucleus of players? Right. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I understand you want to make that push, but 
unless this is going to be one that you will help you for years down the road. Right. Like three, four seasons at the bare minimum. Yeah. Why would you do that? Like, I, yeah. like I just don't get it for that for that stance. Yeah. When, it's, when you got a guy who's come up through the system and been with your organization for a lot of years, there's that there's a loyalty there that like, hey, you guys picked me. You guys trusted and believed in me. I'm going to do good by you guys. You know, so there's a guarantee, like, you know, even if he go becomes a free agent, you know, he will always have that, you know, you got that kind of ace in the hole mentality with him. Like, hey, listen, the, he might entertain some offers from some other teams, but he knows what he's going to get from us. I feel like as much as, as good it would be for a team to get Noah Syndergaard, there's no guarantee that he's going to stay when the contract runs out. Exactly. I mean, that's the one thing you have to worry about. So unless you're planning on signing him long term. Because even then you could end up like a situation like when the Yankees traded a Roldis Chapman to the Chicago Cubs a couple of years ago and got a pretty decent set of uh, prospects, including Glaber Torres, from the Chicago Cubs. And then once that season was over, he came right back. Yeah. So essentially the Yankees got a bunch of prospects for nothing. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing the teams have to think about when they start looking at all these high-priced free agents, that are they going to stick around to your team long term? And if they're right. a quote-unquote rental player... Is the price too high to pay? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the debate that we have all the time with sports. Yeah. Is when teams are willing to make moves at the trade deadline, are you willing to win right now? And then it's all or nothing. So if you don't win and you don't retain that player, right. it's a bust. I mean, you're looked upon as, you know, I, I don't know the right wording I want to go with this, but either you're a champion or you're a failure. Right. I mean, to put it mildly. Yeah. So, it's a debatable question, but Syndergaard, I mean, if any team can get him, it's a huge move, but I think he stays put. Yeah, you're, you're going to be having to be giving up a lot, like we said, to get Syndergaard and, you know, hedge your bet on the immediate future while setting back your farther future back maybe a couple of years. Uh, some other interesting names that have been tossed around. I know Madison Bumgarner's name has been tossed around, you know, a little bit here and there. I'm not entirely sure that's going to be happening anymore because, you know, his name started getting tossed around, I want to say about a month, month and a half ago, to the point where he was he, he'd pitched a game at home and then in post-game pre, in a post-game interview at his locker, uh, there were some rumors or rumblings that the Yankees were interested in and reporters were even actually asking him, "Oh, would you like to pitch in New York for the Yankees?" And he actually said, uh, right now I'm pitching for the Giants, so that's all I really care about. But I don't think, you know, it, I don't really think that's going to be such the case anymore that he's going to get moved just because the Giants all of a sudden have found that second wind and have been, re- you know, after stumbling a little bit at the start of the season, have really been coming on as of late. Uh, you know, they're, they're away, the Dodgers are absolutely running away with the National League West. I mean, let's not get it twisted here. They're six, the Dodgers are 69-39 and 39 and have a 14-game lead in the NL West. So let's just, you know, lock that one up. They got that one sealed down. But the Giants are still in the wild card race and have really been making a run as of late. I mean, their last 10, they have won seven and lost three. Yeah, the Dodgers, I would be surprised unless they go for some relief pitching. Yeah. That's the only thing I think they really need if, if they want to go make that run. But, I mean, when right. you run away your division and playing as well as they are, right? what do you need? Well, and especially, I mean, yes, Bumgarner's, you know, the mad bum. You know, there's obviously that, that World Series moment he had a couple of years ago where he pitched one of the games on, like, two or three days rest. And it was like two days rest. It was like two it, days it, rest, it, it, and he threw eight innings or some sort of thing like that. Like, yes, you know, that's that's very all well and true, but you look at his record this year, 6-7 and seven with a 3.74 ERA and uh, 140 strikeouts in uh, just under 140 innings pitched. Not that great. No, it's it's name recognition. I mean, he definitely earned his pedigree in yeah. the postseason, and yeah. obviously, yeah. you know, pitching those games on short notice and and being dominant like he was. 
But this also comes back to the point. It's like if you're mm-hmm. going for star power, are you going for like what is your team looking for? Right. And to move Bumgarner, it would take a lot. Yeah. I, I think the Giants are smart enough yeah. to know that. And any team that's willing to deal for him is is going to have to pay a steep price. Yeah. But is that going to be what gets you over the hump with him? I think he ultimately winds up staying put too. I don't probably. Think, I don't think he goes anywhere. Yeah, probably. Uh, another name that I know has been thrown out uh, the last couple of weeks is another Mets pitcher, uh, Zach Wheeler, former uh, Binghamton Met at the time, uh, starting pitcher with the Mets. I know he's been, his name's been thrown out a couple of times. You know, the Astros are, uh, according to Ken Rosenthal, are working hard to land him, uh, but that is not ruling out other teams from pursuing him. The Braves, Brewers, Yankees, Rays, and Athletics are some of the teams with varying levels of interest ongoing for the Wheeler market so but there again they just dealt for marcus stroman they've got noah Syndergaard, you know under contract and zach wheeler zach wheeler as well they might trade him they might also hold on to him because admittedly you know they're not that good this year but you go back next year where they'll get suspicious back they'll get a couple of other players back you get a three-headed decent monster of marcus stroman noah Syndergaard, and zach wheeler you know it's not exactly cy young nolan ryan and roger clemens in his prime but that's still a pretty good Starting three pitchers. And we also forget about one pitcher, too. Yeah. Mr. DeGrom. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Jacob DeGrom. So I think with that being said, though, with DeGrom coming back, yeah, I think Wheeler is going to be the guy that gets moved, and, and I'll break down why. If you're going to move a pitcher, you're going to get hitting for him mm-hmm. in this situation. Well, so that's one thing the Mets need. Yeah. That and relief help. Desperately. Oh, my Lord. So that being said, when you get this happening and – you can move Wheeler, who is on the last year of his contract, so it, mm-hmm. he essentially would be a rental player. Yeah. That being said, I would not doubt him possibly going to the Yankees for Clint Frazier and prospects to be named. I would not doubt this. Right. So because they want some bat- hitting in uh, City Field. Yeah. Frazier can hit. He just can't field. <laughs> yeah. That's we, very true. We all know this. So, obviously, a change of scenery I think he desperately needs, and I think he should be granted it because right. keeping him in the Yankee clubhouse right now at this stage and just with some of the comments he's made in the media, yeah, not the best look right now. So, to move him to the Mets where they could use hitting, and he's just got to essentially get on base because he's still got Peter Alonzo in that lineup. So, right. I mean, yeah. he's still going to rake home runs all over the place. You have that going in. This can go a lot of different places, and I think the – the Yankees would be willing to make that deal, I mean, without completely destroying their farm system. Right. And I think Wheeler is kind of in that uh, idea that I think they could definitely do that. No, oh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it could happen, it couldn't happen. I know one of the things that's kind of developed as of today, uh, it was reported by SNY, uh, the broadcasting company that carries the Mets games in the tri-state area, That uh, and I didn't even know he was in their farm system. Uh, former Major League pitcher Irvin Santana is in the Mets AAA team, and he was scratched from his AAA start, which, uh, according to uh, Danny Abriano of SNY, quote, uh, which could ab- mean absolutely nothing, or it could mean that a trade of Zach Wheeler or Noah Syndergaard is about to go down. I say that of note because as we record uh, on Tuesday, Noah Syndergaard is slated to pitch tonight uh, in Chicago for the uh, against the White Sox for the New York Mets, and so and then tomorrow is Jacob Degrom. So something may be happening, something may not be happening. Who knows? Right. It all kind of depends. And like I say, with Degrom, what I'm saying about with him coming back to is like this kind of been like I don't want to say like an off year for him, but right. but it's been kind of more of a quieter year you haven't really yeah. been hearing about how much he's been dominating lately yeah so that being said 
if the Mets are going to be making some moves, and we could be looking a lot into the Syndergaard move. Yeah. But I know that he was extremely vocal about staying. Syndergaard was. I know mm-hmm. DeGrom wants him to stay. Yeah. Do you really want to upset that nucleus in your clubhouse? Right. And that's why I said I think Wheeler is expendable. I think he definitely is – you know, the guy that's going to get moved if anybody's going to get moved. But if you keep him on that roster, though, you still have four solid pitchers. Right. But you need to go get some bats if you're yeah. the Mets. That's the only thing killing you. Yeah, you know, that and, and like we said, the relief pitching. I mean, there was that stretch where they blew five consecutive leads in games where they were doing great. They weren't blowing out the other team, but they were still right in it. And then they had to pull the pitcher and bring in the bullpen, and the bullpen just absolutely lost it. Yeah, so it's one of those weird situations that – you know the Mets need to address it, and yeah. if you if moving Wheeler to get some bats in that lineup, I mean you got to do it. You, right, you have to. I mean even with the relief pitching, relief pitching is going to be tough to come by. Yeah, but relief pitchers are a dime a dozen. Exactly, you just need to get one that gets hot. Yeah, and then essentially you can make something happen with it. I mean not everybody is going to be a Mariano Rivera. Right. Yeah. No, you're not. You're not. You're not going to get an Aroldis Chapman who in his prime threw like a, a hundred and five mile an hour fastball like. They're a very un. It's a relief pitching outside of you know the famous ones, the you know the Trevor Hoffman's, the Dennis Eckersleys, the uh, uh, Mariano Rivera's, and the Aroldis Chapman's, and and Heath Bell's, and what have you. By and large, it is a very unsung position where you don't get a lot of fame. So let me ask you this, Pad trade deadline. Where do you think? Which team do you think is going to make the biggest move? I think the Yankees are probably going to make the biggest move just because you look at the run they had over the weekend, especially against the Boston series, where they had their worst stretch of pitching since I want to. If I read the stat right, it was since like the early 1900s, like mm-hmm. 1912 or so. I think they need starting some starting pitching, and I think they they might be like you said. I think they might be the one to go out and get Zach Wheeler, as odd as it is for the Mets and Yankees to make a trade, because it rarely happens. I agree. I think the Yankees are going to make some move. I would not doubt possibly a move with Cleveland. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that happening, but I think the Yanks make the move to get Wheeler too. I, I'm i sold on that idea that I think Wheeler is the expendable one here, and it's going to be Clint Frazier with a mix of players involved. Right, like, right. I'm, like I'm saying, some more highly touted prospects that'll definitely give him some pop in that lineup. Yeah, and I know Trevor Bauer's name, name has been tossed around a couple a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but I think he might have hurt his stock by chucking the ball over the center field wall the other day in Kansas City. Yeah, that one is not going to help him. No. But, if you're if you're, you know, really pitching for a team to get in the postseason or you know, making an audition, having a, you know, meltdown like that is not a good luck. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those situations that you really got to be on your best behavior if you're wanting to be leaving an organization. Yeah. Because teams don't want to bring in people that are going to be problems right. to their clubhouse, so to speak. So, I mean, anything is possible going into that free agency deadline. And yep. like I said, Cleveland is one of those teams that, I mean, they're on the cusp of, you know, possibly making a wild card run. Yeah. They just got I mean, yeah. they have the talent. They just got to put it together. You never know what's going to happen at the at the end of the season. I mean, you look back at 2007 where the Colorado Rockies when that went on that incredible run where they won, you know, you know, 20 some odd games in like 30 plus days or whatever it was. I forget the exact thing it was, but it was just an insane run. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. This is just one of those weird time periods that this becomes a make or break time. And it, the, it's yeah. the tension in the room is very big. I mean, oh, is yeah. your team going to be a buyer or a seller? It all can shift how your season's going to play out. I mean, you might get that one player that puts you over the hump or it might set you back a couple of years on your franchise, just depending uh-huh. on how it plays out. 
So like we said, there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking to make some moves. We all think the Yankees are going to be the ones desperately making a move for some pitching, obviously, after the past weekend. Yeah. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What team do you think is going to make the biggest move in the free agency deadline time period? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH pad. Let's talk that local minute, shall we? Yeah, I'm talking local minute. We got to talk a little Binghamton Rumble Ponies news. Uh, looking at their last week of games, uh, they w- uh, split a series with the Reading Fighting Phils, uh, winning two games and losing two games. Uh, then they returned home to a series against the Bowie uh, against Bowie. They won their first three games and dropped the final game of the four game set to win the series three to one. Switching ahead to this uh, upcoming series, they got a series that starts. Uh, today, as we record on the 30th against Erie, uh, we're starting at 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and then on Wednesday, they've got uh, the first game of a doubleheader starting at 5.35 on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, they close out their series against Erie at 6.35 p.m. Eastern. And then they go on the road this weekend to Akron. More information, bingrp.com. And we also have to mention, I threw this up on Parlay Points, the ODPH blogs that you can find on OchoDuroParlayHour.com. Binghamton Bulldogs have released their 2019-2020 schedule. Okay. So it is available to look on BinghamtonBulldogs.com for more information. Bulldog season is coming very, very quickly, so stay tuned for that. We should have some more coverage about that coming in the later months. Yeah. So, Pad, let us round those basics. Like I said, it's been a quiet week, and yeah. I and I don't want to get into John Gruden singing his praises about Nathan Peterman. <laughs> I'm just getting texted about this as we're recording. Saying, what about the the line that Fitzmagic may be returning to Miami uh, over Josh Rosen? Yeah, Fitzmagic may be coming again. Amazing. I mean, I, I oh, think I oh, think oh Fitzmagic. I think my personal favorite Buffalo Bills moment though this week is Josh Allen. Uh, taking the jersey, uh, the Miami jersey, and giving a fan a new Josh Allen autograph jersey. All right, that's that's pretty that's funny. Yeah, it's amazing. You guys see, it's it's going viral right now. It's it's truly amazing, and yeah, football season is so close away. Yep, so so close. So let's get into the rounding of the bases, shall we? Mm-hmm. Pad, kick us off. Yeah, well, got some late breaking news because hey, they waited until before we ended the show to give us the late breaking news. Uh, a little NBA news: Portland Trail Blazers and guard CJ McCollum have agreed to a three-year, hundred million dollar contract extension, wow. uh, extending his current deal to five years and one hundred and fifty-seven million dollars, uh, according to his agent. Uh, Sam Goldfeder of Excel Sports uh, is telling uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and ESPN. Uh, it's, uh, Woj says that the new deal will start with the 2021 through 2022 season. So that's a three-year extension. Mm-hmm. So he's making how many million a year now? Uh, it's extending his deal to five years and 157 million dollars. Okay, so about twenty million. Uh, you know, it, it works for Portland. They got a good system yeah. going out there. Yeah. So kind of surprised it was that much, but. 
I mean, he's shown flashes of brilliance in the playoffs. I yeah. mean, they I just think they're like another forward or two away from really making a deep run. But I know they've definitely taken care of their guards out this past offseason. So yeah. good for Portland. Yeah. I uh, got some got the little heartwarming uh UFC MMA news uh that floated around. Joe Rogan, of course, is uh MMA fans and UFC fans will know. Long time and broadcaster uh with the UFC, well known name, you know, got the very popular Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Uh, you know, recently kind of came into the limelight for some real good news. Uh, uh, MMA fighter Miriam Nakamoto needs a really extensive knee surgery that is very, very expensive. Yeah, it's, it's what it what is it like thirty thousand dollars or something yeah, it was like 30K. that? And and she's never had a lot of money. She's never been able to do it just because she's never been able to fully pay for it for one reason or the other. She's only been able to do stuff you know up to a certain point, but never the full extensive surgery that will really help her out and really get her going. She revealed in an Instagram post a couple of days ago uh, a text message from. Joe Rogan saying, hey, don't worry about the surgery. Call this person. You're all set and taken care of. That's an amazing move by Rogan. Yeah. Amazing move. So shout out to you, sir. Yes. Uh, the text message read, quote, your treatment with Dr. Riordan is going to be 100% on the house and I'm covering it all, covering all your expenses to get down there. So yeah, kudos to Joe Rogan. Top shelf thing. Amazing story. Amazing story. Yeah. So yeah, salutes to Joe Rogan out there, man. That's an awesome move. Yeah. So keeping with the UFC, there is a fight card this weekend. There's mm-hmm. been some fight announcements since our last show. One fight that we didn't cover on Parlay Points was BJ Penn is coming back to the cage to fight Nick Lentz yep. at some point. Yep. So I don't have a date for this. I don't think they've even set a date for it. I, yeah, there hasn't been a date, but it's been verbally agreed to. And the only thing that I know that has been said allegedly, quote-unquote, win, lose, or draw, this is BJ's last fight in the UFC. Yeah, I would say Nick Lentz has been a little more vocal and colorful about his com- about what's going to happen with the fight in BJ Penn. We're not going to repeat that here. I mean, you can look that up for yourself. It's 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 colorful. It, it's very colorful. But, I mean, it kind of begs the question, all right, BJ, I'm looking, uh, he is currently 40 years old. His birthday is on December 13th. Uh, so, you know, assuming this is before that, he's going to fight at 40 years old. Why? There's no point to this. I, I, I am seriously struggling with this, that BJ is fighting yet again. He has looked absolutely awful in his past f- last few fights yeah I, this is not the bj penn that dominated the 155 division that was a on the goat conversation mm-hmm. this is a bj penn that father time is caught up to and the skill set is diminishing oh yeah and it's not to say he's not a tough fighter he is one of the toughest people on the planet there's no question of that but in the sport just Father time has passed him, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And I hate, yeah. I absolutely hate seeing him go back out into the cage like this because mm-hmm. he has not looked like BJ. No. And like I say, he is a name that, sure, is going to be a nice resume builder for some people. Yeah. And obviously, I fear that uh, when Lentz fights him, he's going to absolutely roll right through him. Because mm-hmm. I'm looking at his record here, courtesy of SureDog.com. Uh, as we record in July of 2019, he's currently 16 wins, 14 losses, and two draws. And when was his last win? Uh, his last, well, so he hasn't. His last couple of fights have all been losses. His last non-loss was a draw against John Fitch way back when. Do you remember where you were on this date? Uh, UFC 127, which was a majority draw on February 27th of 2011. Prior to that was his last win against Matt Hughes back at UFC 123, uh, which was November 20th of 2010, and he knocked him out in 21 seconds of the first round. So legitimately... 
He has not won a fight since 2010. He's lost to Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, Frankie Edgar, Yair Rodriguez, Dennis Siver, Ryan Hall, and Clay Guida. To put it mildly, I mean, Frankie just mauled him. I mean, that that wasn't even a good fight. Rory McDonald, like, that was... I, I don't even rem- I, I think that was just a dominating performance of, of epic proportion. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to see, I mean, all the, the fighters you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, this is just, at this stage, there's no reason for this. I mean, it's a, it's akin to Brett Favre at the end of his Hall of Fame career where, you know, you, you, you think back to the NFC Championship game against the New Orleans Saints where he just absolutely got his bell rung. And, and just after that, it never looked quite the same. And everyone's kind of going, dude, just retire. Like, you, you just don't have it anymore. You know, father time undefeated and all that. Like, he, you know, to me, he's ruining, you know, or tarnishing his legacy a little bit because if he hadn't gone through and lost the last, you know, eight or nine fights in a row, there'd still be that fond memory of, oh, hey, yeah, you know, BJ Penn, really good fighter for his time, one of the best of at, at that time, you know, but now it's kind of like, I really don't want to see you get dragged out here and just get your bell rung. See, this kind of reminds me of when Chuck Liddell was still fighting and yeah. like he shouldn't have fought. Yeah. And obviously the UFC, I don't want to say protected him, but they made the right call when he lost to Rich Franklin. He got knocked out with a broken arm. Okay, somebody hit him yeah. with a right. Yeah. And that arm was broken when Rich Franklin hit him. Yeah. Okay, and he got knocked out. It's one of those things that happens in fighting. You need to protect the fighter overall. And yeah. And obviously, Chuck decided to start fighting again against Tito in that abomination fight that I'm not even going to get into recently that happened a few months back. This is just one of those situations where the UFC just needs to step in and say, no, like there's no purpose for this. And if you're going to say win, lose, or draw, this has got to be it. And I hope some other fighting promotion doesn't say we want BJ to come in there and fight to, right. to hurt himself even further. I don't understand, I guess, is what I'm kind of struggling with is that – Chuck Liddell was offered a job by the UFC. Mm-hmm. You're trying to tell me that BJ couldn't get a commentating job, like on the Contender Series, right? On the, con- the, nights conten- or the Contender Series, or I know they've got a kind of rotating, you know, rotating door of, of commentators on the ESPN broadcasts. Why not put BJ there? Yeah, like, like don't get me wrong. I've got nothing against, no slight against any of the any of the folks they put on commentary on ESPN with with Joe Rogan or whoever they happen to have that night. You know, the Dominic Cruz. They've all been great. They've all been fun to listen to. But put BJ Penn there. Like, I don't want to see him at 40 years old when his last loss was when I was in college. Yeah. You know, get out there and just beat into a pulp. It's it's not fun to watch. Yeah, his last win, you mean. Yeah. No, I agree with you. This is just one of the things that will tarnish his legacy immensely. And at this stage, is it, you can put him somewhere else to, that he can still flourish in. I mean, he's one. he is arguably, if you take away his last few fights, and I'm going to for this record because when I got into the UFC and MMA, BJ was one of those guys that was on that Anderson Silva level, on that GSP level, on that John Jones level that yeah. we experience right yeah. now. Yeah. At 155, nobody came close to beating BJ. And when Frankie Edgar did it the first time, it was like a shock. And that proved how good Frankie was. Right. And he's the, he was the type of guy that when, when you talk to kind of longtime diehard MMA fans, oh, who are your top favorite fighters of all time? The order might change, but odds are if they've been a fan for a long time, BJ's in there. Yeah, BJ was the king of scrapping. I mean, he would get in there and mix it up and just the prodigy. I mean, it was a rightful name to give him. But at this stage, I just I'm really struggling if the UFC actually lets this go through. I understand that, you know, fighters, it's a tough thing to give up. I get that. I can fully, un, you know, 
understand that kind of mentality. But at the same token, it's this is just a bad look. Mm-hmm. I don't like this fight if it should happen. I think Lentz is going to run right through him. And after this, he shouldn't fight anymore. Like, I don't know what kind of job you can give him with the UFC and, or an organization, but he should not be fighting again. No. Period. No. But let us not end on that note because there is a UFC card this weekend. Oh, boy. Yeah, there is. That is a very, very awesome card. Main event I'm per- I'm very stoked for. Yeah. Yeah. So your main event is for in the welterweight division between Colby Covington and Robbie Lawler. UFC on ESPN is this card, too. Mm-hmm. So that being said, Saturday night, Colby Covington. Uh, dare I want to say if you like the trash-talking antics of Chael Sonnen and Conor McGregor, you definitely have an appreciation to a certain degree for Colby Covington. Yeah. He likes to talk. He likes to offend a lot. He's not afraid to say whatever is on his mind. Exactly. Whether it's a good take or bad take, he likes to talk a lot. A lot. Mm -hmm. And he, I guess at this stage, might be the interim welterweight champion. I don't, that situation, he's got to fight Usman at some point um, if he can get through Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler is coming off the questionable loss to Ben Askren that the submission wasn't submitted, whatever you want to find it as. So, Pat, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Who you got? Robbie Lawler, because I think he's still got, you know, you know that like you said, his last fight was the Ben Askren, and it was a quote-unquote technical submission, but it was one in which he immediately went and looked at uh, Herb Dean, I believe was a ref, and said, I didn't tap, I didn't tap, I didn't tap. I think, you know, and that fight was back in March of this year. I think he's still got that sour taste in his mouth, and I think he's coming with a full head of steam to and, and to knock somebody's head off, and Colby Covington is just the one in the way. I never go against Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler is one of those fighters that I don't care who you put him against. I would probably take Robbie. And especially when he's motivated. And he's motivated and he's Mm -hmm. pissed. Oh, yeah. I will say this. Colby Covington will pressure him. But one thing that you have to realize with Robbie Lawler is Robbie Lawler does pressure as well. Yeah. And this might have a little grappling action, but I don't think it's going to go that far. I think you're going to see a lot of hands getting thrown. And for Colby Covington, he needs this fight more than Robbie does, in yeah. my opinion, because yeah. when you talk all that trash, you had better back it up. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, and let's say he gets Masvidal'd, as I'm going to use that term now, yeah. then he is going to go away very, very quickly. And it will throw a wrench in the title picture for the welterweight division. Yeah. But with Usman waiting in the wings, and obviously if you can make a Lawler-Usman fight, yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't want to th- like that fight. We talk about Justin Gaethje versus Donald Cerrone having fireworks. Uh, that is a whole Fourth of July celebration right there between Usman and Lawler. Yeah, I don't want to think about that because that is a lot of hands getting thrown and a lot of violence happening. Yeah, but I will be there definitely to watch it firsthand. But like I say, Lawler, I think is going to have a little more chip to on his shoulder. This is a very big grudge match. Uh, the trash talk has been happening a lot, so. Mm-hmm. If Covington wins this, it's an immediate rematch or fight against Usman finally and for the belt. If Lawler wins, I don't know if it would be exactly for the belt, but I think you have to make that fight. Oh, you have to. And then the the co-main is nothing to shrug at either. Uh, It's a lightweight division matchup between Jim Miller and Clay Guida. How have these guys not fought before? You know, I was wondering the same thing. Blowing my mind like when I heard about this. I'm sorry I'm yelling into the mic, folks. Clay Guida, the man, the myth, the legend. 
uh, one of the original wild men of the MMA world. I mean, he just gets in there and throws hands. And if you have not seen the UFC inducted fight of the uh, year, I guess, so to speak, candidate or however they they des- talk about yeah, that yeah, wing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know like, how they designate that. Diego Sanchez versus Clay Guida, craziest first round I've ever seen in my life. Uh-huh. And that whole fight. How they have not had a rematch of that still to this day blows my mind. Let's see. I, I guess I'll wind up. I can't even talk about it. So, obviously, Jim Miller, who is – you talk about Kenny Omega and pro wrestling best bout machine. Jim Miller had the performance of the night machine going for a, a long stretch of time. Jim yeah. Miller will will scrap with anybody. Yeah. I know he's I, nearing the end of his fighting career. This one, it'll be a fun one. This one is more nostalgia for me than anything. I do like Jim Miller, but I like Clay Guida winning this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the same way with you. Yeah, I like Clay Guida. Yeah, it's it, this is tough. I mean, I like both fighters a lot. I really do. And Jim Miller has always been a, a great UFC fighter. And I know, like I said, he's nearing the end of his time. Um, so, obviously, I expect nothing but a scrap here, another mm-hmm. performance of the night between these two. But I like Guida, though. I definitely yeah. do. Like we said, UFC on ESPN this Saturday night. So check it out on your local listings. That's all we got for this week. The music you heard on the show is Fair City Fire. You can find their link and all of the music that you hear on the show on OchoDuroParleyHour.com, along with the blogs, links to the show, contact info, whatever you need revolving the ODPH, we got you on there. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I am your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast. We will see you next time. We'll